At First Rounds On Me, we believe that one real date is better than 100 pen pals. With our mobile dating app, we make it fun and easy for you to meet someone in person for a real date. See someone you're interested in? We help plan your date. Pick a drink, a time, a venue, and send that person a date invite. It's that simple. You only get one confirmed date per day. Give your full attention to one person at a time so you can actually get to know each other in person. Our key differentiators allow you to focus on what's most important, dating with intention and connecting with someone in person. Once your date is confirmed, you only get 12 hours to chat before your date starts. If you're tired of the endless small talk with pen pals on other dating apps, First Rounds on Me is for you. Welcome back to Crowdsourcing Love. I'm your host, Marin, and today I have Dr. Lindsay Kite on the episode. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. How are you? Great. So happy to be here. Thank you for coming. So Dr. Lindsay wrote this beautiful book called More Than a Body, Your Body is Not or Your Body is an Instrument, Not an Ornament. I love the title. Thank you. How did you guys come up with that? More Than a Body has kind of been our central mantra. Actually, both of those have been since the beginning. So when we were working on our master's, we both we wrote like a co-authored thesis and then a co-authored project. So we kind of did double the work, but with two of us. Okay. So it was really compatible. Mm-hmm. And one of the phrases that we used all the time was how to improve body image for women is to get your mindset into more than a body yep. as opposed to just my body is beautiful. Yeah. So that kind of started things off. And that goes hand in hand with your body is an instrument, not an ornament. Yeah. So before we go into the book, I want to just know some background information on you. So we were talking earlier. Where are you from? How long have you been in New York City? Kind of give us some context. Yes. The basics. So yes. Um, I grew up in Idaho. Okay. People in New York have never heard of Idaho. Everyone's just... Oh, I've heard of it. It's okay, beautiful. It's <laughs> it really is close. beautiful. It's right next to Montana. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay, thank you. You I know the it. general vicinity. I People do. are like, do you miss the Midwest? And I'm like, I don't know the Midwest. It's it's way more West than you think it is. Yes. So you grew up in Idaho with my identical twin sister, Lexi. Mm-hmm. And then we both ended up in college and in grad school in Utah. We were mm-hmm. at the University of Utah for master's and PhDs. And so I stayed in Salt Lake City for a few years working at the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. Lexi still lives there. Um, and then I moved to New York City in 2019. So I've been here a little over four years. Wow. And what kind of prompted you to move to the city? Oh, I always wanted to. Mm -hmm. Ever since I visited here for the first time in like 2010, Mm -hmm. it clicked. I was like, I'm going to live in New York someday. Yeah. So in 2019, I was kind of like in a rut in my life. I feel like I was kind of not going to go any further in my career Mm -hmm. and had dated everyone I was going to date and just kind of feeling over it. And I knew that this was my chance, you know, what's what's to lose? I was 33. Okay. And up and moved to New York City, did not know a single person here. Yeah. Um, ended up getting a job in an apartment like pretty easily all at the exact same time. So I just knew it was meant to be. Oh my God, that is meant to be. I was very similar. I was 29 when I moved to New York City and I was kind of like, it's now or never. And I just went for it yeah. and it's been so magical. And oh. I've been here for two years. So Oh, only relate. two years. Only two years. Oh, yeah. it is magical. Isn't it's it? magical. It really that. is. So what inspired you and your twin sister to write this book together? So the book was kind of a culmination of, oh, how many years of work? I guess we had been um, working on all this body image stuff for about 10 years 
by the time we started writing this book. So like I said, we did master's and PhDs side by side, mm-hmm. um, studying the objectification of women and women's body image, our self-perceptions, our feelings, our behaviors around how we feel about our bodies. Mm-hmm. And with that, we were doing a lot of speaking engagements, um, taking basically a visual presentation around to schools and treatment centers and corporate conferences and all kinds of things like that from middle school all the way up to universities. Mm-hmm. And that was great, but uh, people are always asking like, okay, what more? And we had a blog, we had an Instagram, mm-hmm. um, we built up a following on social media. And then one day a literary agent approached us and basically said she found us because she was looking for resources for her own daughter. And oh, it just wow. really resonated with her and yeah. it just felt so different from all of the other body image resources out there. Mm-hmm. So she basically convinced us that we should write a proposal and shop it around to publishers. And thankfully, um, HarperCollins bought it. Yeah. And it was the most exciting thing ever. And so we put that like 10 years of, well, 10 years of research plus 10 years of practice um, running our online curriculum and doing speaking engagements. And we Mm -hmm. put that just kind of summed it up into this book. You condensed it into this book. Yeah, we did our best. Why are women's bodies so controversial? Oh, that's a good question. Thanks. So the, the real underlying factor from my perspective is um, objectification and that stems from living in a patriarchal society. Mm -hmm. So when men are prioritized um, in decision-making, who holds the power, who takes care of the money, um, whose perspective is privileged the most, then women are valued for what they do for men and how men see women. Mm -hmm. So this is a very heterosexual perspective, um, heteronormative view of women. But women become valued for how they look, their sexual appeal, uh, their relationships with men, as opposed to their own humanity just as men have their own humanity Mm -hmm. and being valued for a huge variety of different ways that they contribute and who they are. And so it becomes very controversial for women's bodies to look different from the ideals, Mm -hmm. to, um, to even fit the ideals and the norms, because then there's controversy around, well, she's asking for it, or Mm -hmm. why would she dress that way or look that way if she didn't want the attention? It's just endless controversy. Yeah, it's either you're not subscribing to it enough or you've gone too far and you're trying too hard. Yep, totally. It's really hard to find that sweet spot. It's impossible, actually. Is it? Yeah, definitely. Okay. There is nobody who is is playing the game well enough Mm -hmm. by all the rules in order to escape the controversy, the feelings of shame, the blame, the negative comments, um, abuse, all of these things that come from women's objectification. You cannot escape it with beauty and with thinness and And modesty. Do do men face the same challenges or is it truly a woman's issue? Well, it's a very gendered issue, but men do face similar issues. Okay. So um, men, like I kind of alluded to earlier, are valued for a wide variety of different characteristics. Okay. Among those, we value men for their wealth, their intelligence, their humor, their athleticism, skills, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, along with that, we value them for their attractiveness. But there's very few men that are valued solely because of their attractiveness or devalued solely because of their attractiveness. Yeah. Whereas for women, we can think of a million women who are just – you know, popular because they're so hot and Mm -hmm. who are devalued because they're so hot and aren't able to succeed in their careers, um, in their chosen path because they don't quite look like the ideal 
that everyone, you know, wants them to. So yeah. yeah, men definitely face body image issues and feelings of shame around bodies when it comes to height and baldness and and a couple of particular factors that women don't deal with as much. Like studies show for men, it's muscularity that's the big issue. Um, oh, really? Like yep. if they don't have muscles, then yeah. they're less valued. Yes. So men are being sent the message that um, muscularity and low body fat is crucial for sexual attractiveness and for physical health. Oh. And so, and it's not necessarily women that are, you know, it's perpetuating those ideals. It's other sometimes men. Sometimes, it's not just other men. It's industries that profit off of that idea. Oh, true. The fitness industry okay. fully banks on men being huge and you know relying on the supplements and the steroids and the protein and whatever. Um, and the whole gym industry kind of revolves around that. Yeah, and I feel like it's almost more industry that's setting the beauty standard as well because you talk to men in real life yep. and a lot of them are not just so obsessed with the thin beauty ideal. Mm-hmm. They they love the curvy body and you know they love all of these different yeah. body types. But if you look at the media, it says a very different thing. Oh, totally. We don't blame men. Men didn't create these ideas. Some men perpetuate them for sure. We all have examples of men who have done that. Mm-hmm. But it's not men as a whole who are perpetuating these unhealthy ideals about women. They buy into it. We're all socialized with it. Mm-hmm. Women perpetuate it against each other, against ourselves. And we all need to break out of this system of thinking that women are bodies first and foremost and that we can judge them according to whether or not those bodies fit whatever the ideal of today is. Yeah. We can't. We all lose in that system including men yeah and it's like the system you just can't keep up with like the the metrics keep changing and right now we're going into a time period of quote-unquote like ozempic culture where we're going back to a real thin beauty ideal um but a few years ago it was all about the bbl and having the curvy body in certain spots and so just like looking at like the patterns of things happen quickly Oh, and yeah. it's like you get one surgery and now you need the other. Mm-hmm. And it just does seem like it's like there's something bigger behind all of it. Oh, yeah. There's no winning. It's it's capitalism. It's a market-based okay. system. Yeah. Um, this industry takes in billions upon billions every year. Yeah. Um, especially banking on thinness because thinness is one of the hardest and most unnatural things for women to obtain. Oh, really? As we hit puberty and grow Mm. older throughout our life, we gain body fat. It's necessary. And yet we're taught from a very young age that it's bad. It's unhealthy, Mm -hmm. um, that we need to constantly be losing and slimming down. And, you know, you mentioned like curvy in some places and that's exactly it. Like the ideals may have swayed a little bit to be a little more favorable toward curves and a more voluptuous body type, but all of the same signifiers of thinness are still mandatory. You cannot have cellulite or stretch marks that come along with having body fat and curves, you know, Um, having hips, having a butt. That almost always comes with cellulite, with stretch marks, with whatever other imperfections that regular women's bodies have. Mm -hmm. And so if you have all those curves and all of the other, um, you know, ideals that go along with it, you probably don't have that ideal body and so you'll have to do more procedures to fix it it's the tanning it's the skin lasering it's the hair removal it's constant like there literally is no winning so we've got to find another way to feel good about ourselves honestly that's so true because I feel like I'm constantly fixing something about myself 
And once I fix one thing, yeah. it's like whack-a-mole. It's like there's yeah. always another thing to fix. Totally. And at the same time, I'm aging as well. And mm-hmm. then it's like another thing. And it's just like my wallet is just outpouring to yeah. the beauty industry. It's so frustrating. Oh, that's how they get us. They start us mm-hmm. from such a young age mm-hmm. thinking like I literally just saw a skincare ad. Oh, I think maybe I shouldn't even say the brand name. But okay. um, it was a it was like a model who's probably in her 50s who was like, you know, I started using a a skincare regimen and a moisturizing routine. Um, it's important for me, but you can never start too young or, you know, something about how everyone gets to choose for herself when they start their anti-aging routine. And yeah. then it's literally like a 21-year-old who's like, I start now to work on my fine lines and whatever. It's so like silly. it's an empowering choice instead of just simply a market decision to get an audience that's already fixated on how they look and worried about looking older. Mm-hmm. It's so just manipulative. It's manipulative. Yeah. What is beauty work? Yeah, beauty work is all of the effort that we go through mm-hmm. to try to maintain or improve our physical appearance. Mm-hmm. And it's something that so many of us take for granted or we kind of frame it for ourselves as self-care and, you know, it, it's stuff that we yeah. uh, choose to do or that we love to do. It's pampering, whatever. But it's really anything that you do that uh, is intended to preserve or improve your physical appearance to fit whatever ideals live in your head. Yeah. Whether they came from your family, your friends, media, your the culture that you belong to, whatever. We all engage in various ways with this beauty work. Mm-hmm. It's like the amount of time you take getting ready in the morning or primping yourself throughout the day. It's the amount of time and money and energy you spend on your hair color and hair removal and your hair texture and your skin texture and your skin tone. Like the list goes on and on. It is it every inch of our bodies from yeah. our scalps to the bottoms of our feet. Mm-hmm. So did you guys coin the word or the term beauty work? Or? No, okay. no, we didn't. I don't know who did, Okay, but we just took it on because it, it makes sense. I yeah. mean, it's such a good work word because it really is work to maintain a certain level of image Mm -hmm. and it's not natural it's not natural for anyone and I hear a lot of men say that they like they like natural women and sometimes I feel very frustrated when they say that because Mm -hmm. I don't think that men understand what natural truly is and (laughs) and so they criticize you again like I don't want a woman who gets ready or spends money on their hair color mm-hmm. or spend or does this much makeup. But it's like, I don't think you know what it looks like not to do that. Right. And yeah. why were you drawn to me in the first place? Right. Like, it's very likely you saw me with makeup on or you saw yep. me with a hair color that you were drawn to. Mm-hmm. And then they punish you when it when they see the effort. Yeah. It's, that's ugh, it's so frustrating. It sucks because that beauty work has to be invisible. It has to be just something that's a normal part of your routine and – you, have to you hide know, it. there's less stigma around it today. A lot of people talk about their cosmetic surgery and mm-hmm. um, they do their get ready with me online, you know, their makeup routines and all of that. Yeah. But yeah, for some reason, we think um, when it comes to men and straight men, we need to hide that and pretend like this took no effort whatsoever. This is my natural look. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why dating is so intense for women because, yes, the man has to plan the date, but, and then hopefully pay for it. I subscribe to that. Do you subscribe to that? I mean, it's nice on the first date. Yeah. I always offer to split it. Okay. Um, But if he says yes, I think he's probably not that into me. That's how I feel too. Yeah. I stopped offering though just because guys sometimes would say yes. Yeah. And it wasn't a – like it was a very half-hearted offer. So I was just (laughs) kind of like, I'm just going to stop. You're like, can't you see I'm dead behind the eyes when I say I'm willing to pay? Like this is not a genuine offer. (laughs) So I I have stopped on the first date. But 
Okay, and then I also want to talk about the pink tax because that goes into kind of the cost of dating. I went on 28 dates in February. It became this whole viral phenomenon. And one of the articles that was written by about me was by Bloomberg. And they took the angle of the cost of dating and how some of these, you know, New York high rollers spent so much money on our dates. But I also wish that they would have focused more on how much I was spending yeah. between the hair, the makeup, the time, all of it. And then there's the pink tax. And so I'd love for you to explain what that is to everyone. Oh, that is such a taken for granted cost of doing mm-hmm. business Yes, when you're trying to be an attractive woman. Yes. So yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Uh, the pink tax is basically if you take um, two comparable items, mm-hmm. um, consumer items, then the woman's uh, product is going to have a pink tax, which means it, it costs more. Mm-hmm. And it's this invisible cost because no one's ever comparing the price of a man's razor and a woman's razor. But when you do, then they're the exact same thing, just in two different colors. And the pink one happens to cost $2 more or whatever. The pink tax, I don't know how much it is today. I think when they were first doing those studies, it was somewhere around 20% Mm -hmm. um, across a a wide variety of different goods. And it's like this idea that, um, well, first of all, women control most of the dollars in every household on average. Mm -hmm. So where it comes from is this knowledge that industries um, and media companies have is that they know that women, they might not make the most money in every household, but they tend to control it. Yeah. And so if you can sell products to a woman and convince a woman that she needs these products from a very young age and that uh, products for women are specific and different and mm-hmm. um, and will you know go the extra mile to keep you younger and fresher and whatever the ideals are, mm-hmm. then of course we're willing to pay for those products. Right. And yet for men, those products are more utilitarian, even if they're the exact same thing like razors or deodorant or something like that or Mm -hmm. lotion. And yeah, for men, it's just utilitarian. Yeah. Well, my hands are cracked, so I need lotion or, you know, like I stink, so I need deodorant. And for women, it's always this extra, like you need an underarm makeover. And so your deodorant costs 30% more than. Yeah. Because there's so much more marketing behind it. So much more. Yeah. That's interesting. I hate the pink tax. I think Mm -hmm. that someone needs to do that because also women don't make as much as men. Right. And so it's like we're just like hit on both sides. Yep. And then a man's like, I can't pay for a date. And they like think that they it's like 50-50, but it's yeah. like they don't even know. Right. It's so taken for granted all yeah. of the, the time and money and energy that goes into our beauty work. Ugh, and okay. dating with that, yeah. I've never noticed that more, like the the time and effort and energy that goes into getting ready for a date than when a guy um, cancels on you at the last minute or like reschedules oh, at the last second. Yes. I've been sitting there already. Like I try not to get too, too ready for a first date. I try to just be, you know, kind of normal every day, but still like I put on mascara and, you know, I I do my best. You do your hair. You put on an outfit. Totally. I'm ready to go. And then if he cancels or reschedules at the last minute and I'm sitting there, like I've already used my good makeup and I've already, you know, Mm -hmm. done all of this. I took a shower. I shaved my legs. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know. It's all a lot. so frustrating, but it just points out how much really goes into the preparation that a lot of men just have no idea about and they should know. Yeah. And then they just shower and show up. Maybe they put in some hair gel. (laughs) Maybe they put on a little like cologne or whatever right but I feel like men just truly don't understand and like it's not my job to make them understand but I'm trying to like validate the women Mm -hmm. that it does take a lot of effort and so don't devalue that side of things either definitely um okay so I'm going into all these definitions like we're like in school right now but I just want people to kind of understand some of these concepts because I like I said I read the book and I just found them really helpful 
So we already talked about this a little bit, but can you go into what self-objectification is and how does it impact women specifically in dating? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that one. That's my favorite word to define Ooh, because okay. no one ever knows what it is. Yep. I think a lot of times when people hear self-objectification, they think it must be when women are flaunting their bodies or purposely objectifying themselves, mm-hmm. and that is not what it is at all. Okay. So objectification is when you are viewing somebody as an object for your use rather than a full human, a dynamic person. Mm -hmm. Um, You're viewing them from the outside as an object. Self-objectification happens when we grow up in a culture where we are used to viewing women's bodies in particular as objects, something to be evaluated and judged and appraised and consumed and used often, um, sexually especially. Yeah. And when you grow up in that environment and that's totally normal, we turn that lens on ourselves. We self-objectify. So instead of just going about our lives, uh, living within these human bodies we were born into and, you know, prioritizing our perspective from within them, Mm -hmm. we prioritize the perspective of any stranger looking at us. And so we talk about how your identity is kind of doubled. So you're this person who's going about your daily life, you're living, you're doing, you're being, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you are picturing how you appear the whole time you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. Even when you're alone, women do this thing, we self-objectify by kind of prioritizing an outsider's perspective of what we look like Mm -hmm. instead of how we feel, what we're doing, what we're experiencing. And that gets in the way of every aspect of our lives that when self-objectification starts, which is right around puberty, sometimes a little younger for girls, okay, then we start losing focus mm-hmm. because part of your energy and your mental and physical energy is dedicated to preoccupation with how you look. It's the fixing. It's this mental task list in your mind mm-hmm. that's reminding you to keep your chin up because uh, my double chin is showing and I need to make sure that my skin isn't too greasy and my hair is not frizzy and it's pulled the right way. Yep. I need to suck in. Like I'm sitting here on camera right now looking at this monitor yeah. and and after all of this, these work. years of work, yeah. I still catch a glimpse and I think, oh, I need to remember to suck in, yep. you know? Yep. And all day long, girls and women in particular mm-hmm. have part of our mental energy dedicated to this body monitoring, yep. this hyper fixation on how we look. Yeah. And it drains us in every possible way. We stop raising our hands in class at around the time this sets in. Mm-hmm. We stop going up for leadership positions, promotions. Uh, we drop out of sports and physical activity. We, If we don't feel like we look right and we've faced judgment or we fear facing judgment, then we will just opt out. And so self-objectification really comes into play with dating Mm -hmm. because we are not only having already grown up living in this state where we're concerned about how we look and other people are very concerned about how we look, but now we're putting ourselves out there for evaluation by men. Yeah. And honestly, for me, that was one of the hardest things when when I really started doing more dating and putting myself out there more. Mm -hmm. That was one of the hardest things for me was realizing that like, I've done so much work on myself to overcome my own self-objectification and I'm in a good spot. Yeah. I really, it's not a major concern in my life. But when it comes to like putting pictures of myself on the internet for men to appraise or, you know, intentionally wanting men's attention when I'm out or whatever, Mm -hmm. it puts me into that state of self-objectification where I'm thinking, okay, what does he think when he's looking through my Instagram profile or my dating profile? Or like from this angle, if I'm sitting on this bar stool at the bar or whatever, what does that guy think when he sees me? And now I'm doing the, I got to suck in. I got to hold my legs in a more flattering position. I'm doing the mental task list. Totally. It can be so triggering for people who 
who are not only like already struggling with body image, but who are already kind of healed and doing great. It can bring all that to the surface. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think you bring up like the the thought of like social media and putting your image out there for consumption. I think that's added a whole other layer of anxiety to the ether and to women, but to everyone in general as well. Totally. I mean, when I went viral, there was a lot of like very positive feedback, like, we love what you're doing. But then also, you know, when I I went viral on Twitter and that's where a lot of trolls were attacking my age. I was 31 doing this challenge, you know, to them, I was past my prime and you know, there's something wrong with me if I'm unmarried at 31. Um, and then also being like, you know, she's not even that pretty and just people kind of – and I didn't read all the comments. Oh, come on. Good. But, but, but you know what I mean? But, like, yeah. there is – like, kind of like for me, it was almost a – it was not good for me because it's not good for anyone to no. read those comments. But it did make me double down on myself and good. be like, you know what? Fuck you. Like, yeah. I love myself and I have thick skin and I'm going to do what I do out here. Yeah. And I don't care if you see me or not. And I don't care if you think I'm pretty or not. But the reason why I didn't do anything like this sooner was because I was too insecure. Yeah. And I could have sure. lived my whole life not putting myself out there because I was too worried about, like, the whole self-objectification and yeah. how I appeared to others. Totally. And then I finally said, fuck it. I get one life. I'm going to do it. Yes. And go for it. That is – that's an incredible story and such a common one. Like, yeah. I'm sure when you share that with people, mm-hmm. most women are like, yeah, I've had a similar experience or are inspired by that because yeah. we know that once you push through and you actually test your limits of what you're capable of withstanding and mm-hmm. the public commentary and whatever, you find out, oh, it actually doesn't matter what those randos on Twitter yeah. think of my body. I don't care who they are. You know, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's what I – tried to do with dating, like to be personal about it, you know, like, like I've been a a pretty public expert in the body image space for a long time now. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's easy to do that when you're on your own and doing your own thing and nobody's opinion matters of me or my body. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because I'm fine and I'm good. Yep. But when it comes to dating, somebody else's opinion does matter. Oh, that's true. But not everyone's opinion does. And just that one other person. Just the one person that you also have the same feelings for and admire in all the ways that you want to admire them and Mm -hmm. whatever. And so it came to a point where I had to stop and think like, okay, I'm probably going to get rejected and I am not everyone's preference, but I don't care that I'm not everyone's preference. And you don't care either because you don't want everyone. Like it doesn't matter if everyone. It just takes one person. Yeah, exactly. And I think I have a lot of really great qualities outside of just how I appear. Right. And you don't want someone who only wants you for how you appear. Right. It is so easy to get men who only care about how you look. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that lesson the hard way. Yeah. You know, when you grow up and, um, you know, some of us who grew up in like the 90s and the early 2000s who were thicker than the rest and didn't get attention from guys – when you start getting attention, it can be a little intoxicating. Like, oh wow, okay. So You're like, like, okay, let's these guys go. that I think are hot also yeah. think I'm hot. Like, let's yeah, let's go. Yeah. And it's nice and it's flattering. And I think sometimes when you're on apps and you get a lot of positive comments that may be objectifying, yeah. at first, for a lot of people, that is very flattering. And it's probably very tempting because mm-hmm. you think, okay, well, he thinks I'm hot. Yeah. You know, I think he's cute too, so let's give it a shot. But when they identify first and foremost that what they're interested in is your body and they're not shy about that at all, then you know what they value. You know know. what they want you for. And it's not a good starting point. And that, I think, should be a lesson for 
men and women. Yeah. That when we start off on that foot, even if it feels like it's just a harmless flirting or flattery or whatever, Mm -hmm. that it actually sets the tone and kind of shows your cards about what you value in this person. Yeah. And I think it can be difficult to pivot from that. I I think so too. And I think that, yeah, the dating apps, I used to get more objectifying comments and I'd be like, oh my God, like I'm so cute, whatever. And now I think I'm more like, no, I want something with substance. And like, of course I want you to think I'm attractive and I want you like my boyfriend to call me beautiful and all of those Mm -hmm. things. But more than that, I do want to have a true like emotional connection connection. and be a power couple and like take over the world. That's what I care about more than like him just thinking I'm some sort of ornament going back to the book title. Um, Okay. So also I love this quote in your book where you say men have the exact same parts as women and no pressure to fix them. Mm -hmm. That's iconic. Yeah. Like, it's honestly, true, though. It's so true. So I actually did a poll on my Instagram like a few days ago in preparation for this podcast. And I asked women like what their insecurities were. And a lot of women talked about their bodies and just like maybe their stomachs and just like different parts of their bodies. But then a lot of women also talked about their aging. And I had a lot of women being like, you know, I'm 33 and single, I'm 35 and single. And, you know, there's just so much ageism in our society, especially around dating. Yeah. You know, do you have any, you know, takeaways or, you know, I guess methods of kind of combating that and building your confidence regardless of your size or your age that women can use? I can't speak in the dating sense. Um, I'm 37, almost 38 and dating. And so that's on my mind all the time too. Okay. So, you know, I'm no dating expert, but from the body image side of things, um, age is definitely a factor for people like, Mm -hmm. you know, in the millennial generation, we're getting older and, and for the first time we're seeing lines on our faces and Mm -hmm. getting gray hairs and like wondering how we're going to survive this. Yeah. But it's very similar to, you know, the thin ideals or the curvy ideals or whatever it is that um, that we're being held up against and struggling with. It all comes – it's still objectification, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Not wanting to look old is just a reflection of this culture that prioritizes youth for women more than anything, but not for men, you know. As men yeah. age, they're a silver fox. They're distinguished. They're sexy. They're rugged. And for women, we don't get that same grace or ability to grow. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to recognize that for what it is, that that is dehumanization. It is objectification. We are viewing women as objects of parts to be discarded and picked apart and judged. And we should be a little bit mad when we see that and when we feel those feelings in ourselves. I agree. For someone who's 33 and afraid of looking old or being perceived as too old in the dating market, mm-hmm. that is fully a reflection of um, of self-objectification and of this really unhealthy environment that we've all grown up in that would even put those fears in our mind in the first place. Yeah. Because there's nothing wrong with being 33. It's not actually old. Like you, we have all the time in the world. And so it's this arbitrary sense of needing to fit a certain ideal that really does not bring joy. It does not bring health. It does not bring all of the things that we really want in life. It doesn't, to fix our body image issues, we need to see ourselves, number one, as more than a body. This is, this sounds trite, but one of the things that you can do is when you feel those feelings, and now you have a name for it, it's self-objectification. Mm-hmm. When you feel your little mental task list going off and that anxiety and that body shame comes to the surface about your face, your age, your weight, whatever, let that be 
a little wake up call, a little trigger mm -hmm. that simply reminds you in this moment, okay, what I'm feeling is self-objectification, it's body shame and get curious about it, ask some questions, do a little momentary self-reflection. Why am I feeling this way? Am I comparing myself to somebody else that I'm seeing, um, that I was just with, that I saw on social media? Am I living in fear of the future about maybe being single or not wanting to, um, you know, be perceived in a way that I don't want to be perceived? And as we, as we stop and reflect, it gives us a moment to breathe, okay. to take in three deep breaths, and choose one of the mantras that you like. Maybe it's more than a body. Maybe it's my body is an instrument, not an ornament. Like find something cheesy or not that yeah. resonates with you and take a moment to simply take a few deep breaths, stop and think and repeat your little mantra mm -hmm. and choose to make a different choice. Yeah. What would you normally do in this moment that you're feeling that shame? Would you go online and look at the best anti-aging products? Would you make plans for cosmetic surgery? Would you... Um, cut yourself? Would you abuse prescription drugs or alcohol? Yeah. Um, get high, whatever it is. All of us use coping mechanisms in this objectifying environment, and we need to be more cognizant of what those choices are and how they are not helping us. Yeah. So we call this like sinking deeper into shame or clinging to an uncomfortable comfort zone. Every time we're trying to hide or fix our bodies or numb ourselves into submission when we're feeling that shame, we are worse off afterward. We are just pushing that pain down the road to deal with later, and it will come up again later, like maybe even later today. As soon as I yeah. am reminded that I don't like my reflection or someone else says something negative, um, then we start this cycle again where we hide and we fix. We opt out of going to things. We decide to not go on dates and to not go out to that event because we look too old or we look too fat. We don't have the right outfit or whatever. And that keeps us in this vicious, vicious cycle of yeah. body shame, of self-objectification, yeah. of feeling shitty. So when we do that and we stop and we breathe and we give it a name, we call it self-objectification, we repeat our mantra, that gives us an opportunity to make a new choice. I'm not going to cut. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to hide or fix or make plans for cosmetic surgery. What I'm going to do instead is to stop and meditate or stop and write in my journal. I'm going to find a picture of my younger self, like my little Lindsay. I have a picture of myself on my phone that I can look at at five years old and look at my little face that I have the same features. I yeah. have the same hair texture. I feel so much love and compassion when I look at her. When you tap into that little self, you would never speak to her that way. You would right. prepare her for what this culture, this environment is going to teach her mm -hmm. about her body, all these lies about her body. Yeah. And you can tap into that self-compassion through journaling, through finding a photo of your younger self, through recording a voice note, um, like you're giving your younger self a pep talk. These oh, kinds I of things will that. help. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually Get so you back good. into a sense of love for yourself. Yeah. No, compassion. That's, that's so helpful. Don't dehumanize yourself. Yeah. Like, and I have actually, since I, since reading your book, I started to tell trolls, stop dehumanizing me. Oh, I love it. Which is yeah. like kind of psycho, but I'm also no, like, good. you know what? Like the it's way blunt. you're treating me is like as if I'm not a human with this heart and a right. soul and a family. Exactly. And so don't treat me like that and don't treat yourself like that. Right. Yeah. I'm going to start doing the younger picture thing too. It works. Yeah. Honestly, it really works okay. because so many of us do feel a sense of like – 
humanization when we see our younger selves. Mm-hmm. We remember you that's fight still for that the, I want to fight for her. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's still my same body. That is still my same face. Mm-hmm. It's yours too. Yeah. And we grow up and experience every hard and every beautiful and difficult moment of our entire lives in that same body that you're sitting in as a little child. Yeah. And r- really like to wrap it up in another bow, okay. this whole process we call body image resilience. Building your resilience against objectification in a culture where objectification is not going to go away. It's not going to get any better. Our outside environment is going to continue to prioritize thinness and youth and beauty. And all of the signifiers of what beauty looks like, they're going to change. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, thinner ideals are back in now, but it's also the curvy ideals and it's the whatever. They're going to change over time, but that doesn't have to change how we feel about ourselves because we are going to return to our bodies as our homes every time we are triggered to self-objectify. Every yeah. time those feelings do rise to the surface, we will choose to make choices that reconnect us with our bodies as our home instead of distancing ourselves, watching ourselves from the outside, dehumanizing ourselves, allowing other people to dehumanize us yep. in unhealthy relationships, on apps where we're just being ogled and you know being abused and objectified. Mm-hmm. We can have that sense of self within us that says, I am more than a body. I find value in so many other aspects of my humanity and my contributions and accomplishments and my relationships that are so far outside what anyone else thinks of what I look like. We have to have that real grounding within ourselves. Otherwise, every single comment from somebody else, every single rejection, every single time we're used by someone, especially in dating. You can't internalize it. No. It will tear us down. Yeah. You have to you have to know like who you are and what your worth is. And definitely. Yeah, I think I think those are all such helpful strategies. So in your book, you talk about how so many people get caught in the trap of holding ourselves back until we look right. What's wrong with that thought process? Because we're never going to look right enough to feel good in this environment. Right. There will always be someone to compare yourself to and someone will always disapprove. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, they think they're doing themselves such a service when they say, well, I'm going to wait to really get into dating until I lose some weight or until, Mm -hmm. you know, I really get myself together and build my confidence because then, you know, I'll be a whole woman and ready to really be out there. In reality, you're never going to be perfectly confident and perfectly happy with what you look like. Right. You're just holding yourself back. Like it's not a it's not a competition. The most beautiful woman gets the most happy relationship. It doesn't work like that. That's and so true. We need to shatter the glass on that illusion. Yeah. That looking perfect will earn you the things you want in the life. best relationship. It doesn't work. Yeah. The most beautiful women still get cheated on, still get cancer, still have depression and face mm-hmm. shame and negative comments from people. This game is set up for us to fail if we continue competing for points in the system that awards them based on, you know, hotness and thinness and youngness and whatever. Like we're still not winning. We might get a million points, but we'll still be just as discarded and abused as anyone else who isn't playing the game. So might as well not play it. Right. How can we opt out? And like people will hear that and they'll be like, okay, but she's wearing makeup and she, you know, has highlights in her hair. Which I fully – so I play the game fully. Like I am in it. (laughs) Like I've done everything. Like you – like lip injections, Botox. Like I've been there. And so I'm talking about – like fuck this I want to not play the game Mm -hmm. yet I'm playing the game. Right. We have to recognize. So I feel that. Right. 
But I'm trying to learn too. I would never draw the line for anyone else. Like a lot of people will hear this conversation and they're going to say, okay, well, where should I draw the line? Right. Like if all of this is objectification and if buying makeup and getting plastic surgery and, um, you know, buying into fashion and Mm -hmm. other ideals is playing by this objectifying system, then where do I draw the line? What's okay and what's not? You could draw the line in the same place as me, but I'm not going to tell you that that's right. I'm not going to tell you that I have made all of the best uh, you know, choices, but I'm, I have done what's best for me and I'm not going to judge anyone else's. Right. So for me, I chose to, um, not buy into any new advances in like makeup and, uh, and in like cosmetic procedures and stuff like that. For example, like what's like an advance? So I basically wear the same amount of makeup as I did in middle school. Okay. From when I first started wearing so makeup. So no contouring for you. I don't know how to contour and okay. I don't want to. Okay. I will not wear fi- fake eyelashes or yep. get eyelash extensions or lip injections or mm-hmm. any or microblading or Botox or any of that kind of stuff because I know that once I do it, I would love it and I would look great. I mean, you look great already. Oh, thank you. It's a slippery slope <laughs> though, I will say. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't want to have to rely on any of those things to feel like my best self. Right. Or to feel like myself, period. Mm-hmm. Like if – you know, right now I rely on mascara and I fill in my eyebrows and I like blush and, you know, just the really basic makeup stuff. Yes. And I, you know, I'm on a podcast today and so I'm wearing my makeup. Yeah. And when I go on dates, I wear my makeup and all of that. But I also don't want to rely on it in order to just look like myself. So sometimes I will test my limits and I'll go out without my mascara on and without my makeup. And like if I'm going to the gym or I'm going grocery shopping or for a walk or whatever, Mm -hmm. then I'll just – Prove to myself that I'm okay. I'm fine. I might not look as good as I will the next day or whatever, but it's fine. I've also chosen to not do anything that hurts. So like, oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm the like lip injection scared hurt. of needles. I'm yeah, not I'm scared. I mean, I it doesn't to. hurt that bad. <laughs> it like it does. It's like a little like ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It scares me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's just where I draw the line for me. Okay. I haven't done a lot of stuff that probably would you know make me look and feel great. But mm-hmm. for me, I've chosen to reserve my time and my money and my energy by not doing those things and just I'm gonna see how long I can go I respect that and I think that like you said everyone has their own personal set of limits and I love in the book how you're like we don't judge other women for subscribing to the beauty standard because we're all anyone we're all in this catch-22 and Mm -hmm. so we have to support each other regardless if someone's you know going out and not wearing makeup or if they wear all the makeup yeah either way they're your sisters and so support them like we're allies we're allies we're all in this together yeah it sounds so cheesy but for real I I don't judge what anyone else chooses to do I do want people to be very critical of why we make the choices we do I know and the amount of pressure that goes into making these choices that men aren't asked to make you know men get wrinkles and gray hair and all that kind of stuff and they face almost zero pressure, like really straight men face, I think zero pressure mm-hmm. to um, to do the anti-aging and, and oh, the totally. hair coloring and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, um, I think we should be really critical of why that is and how women are so targeted. And it is this culture of objectification that prioritizes how women look over who we are and how we experience the world, prioritizes men's perspective of women. Mm-hmm. And I think that should piss us off. It does. It makes it me should. very angry. And, and, I don't know. Like, I think that women are so strong and I think that people don't give us credit for half the shit that we put up with. Um, It makes me angry, but it's also like, I feel like I teeter between 
if you can't beat them, join them, which I know is toxic, <laughs> but it's kind of like, well, I want to play the game. I want to, you know, have advantages. Yeah. But also, I'm so sick of just all the talk around appearance and yeah. how that's just prioritized over everything else. Yeah. And, you know, it's so hard for me to kind of wrestle with the two. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm concerned about other people. Like, yeah. I've seen being in this field and doing this work for the last, oh my gosh, when did I start? 2004. So almost 20 years, which is insane. Yeah. I've heard so many stories from girls and women who are suffering under the pressure of all of this, you know, and they might be some of the most beautiful women you've ever seen, right. but they are still struggling so much with the pressure of conforming to these ideals and then having to maintain them for the rest of their lives. And even for the women who don't fit those ideals and never will, and they are also suffering, like, like I said, there's no winning, but my heart and my focus goes out to my peers and people older than me who need this and have needed it their whole lives, mm -hmm. but also for the younger generations who are coming up and will have to fight this same fight. And it breaks my heart to think that all of us who have made so many strides with feminism and, and with our careers and with advancing women in so many ways, yeah. for all of us to pass on this continued pressure and heightened pressure because we all buy into these ideals of beauty, yeah. that puts even greater pressure and pain on them. Like I have a couple of, I have little nieces yeah. and like my sister Lexi, her, her oldest daughter is seven years old and she's in second grade and we're starting to see how she might be doing a little self-comparison yeah. and looking at other girls and, you know, thinking that maybe she would like to look or dress this way. And my compassion for other people is part of my motivation yeah. for drawing the line where I have. Mm -hmm. And I hope that as other people start to recognize the pressure that we're handing down to the next generation, we start to think like, if I'm not going to push back against it, who will? My daughter, like my yeah. niece, these little kids. I even think though, like kind of going back to the confidence thing, I think that it's so important to find a way to become more confident in yourself, especially in the realm of dating, because mm -hmm. I think that when you have internalized shame, you're quicker to go back to that ex-boyfriend who doesn't yeah. treat you well you're faster to jump into bed with somebody before you're ready yeah. because you think that your only value proposition is to offer them sex mm -hmm. and so that's why I'm so passionate about women being confident in whatever body you are yeah. in because I just hate that like a lot of times women who feel like they fall sh short of this impossible standard feel like they they have to compensate for it yep. in other ways. Yes. And, that and it doesn't serve us at no. all. Like we're only left more heartbroken when we cater to people who are using us. Yeah. You know, it doesn't actually improve anyone's self-esteem to go sleep with someone who thinks you're hot and doesn't give a shit about you. Yeah. And that's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. And I think it does take time and it probably takes trial and error for a lot of people and that's mm -hmm. totally okay. So yeah. we can't be too hard on ourselves when we do fall into those traps. Mm -hmm. But we also have to know what we are bringing to the table. And it's not like you have to bring so much to the table, especially if we're not expecting the most perfect, successful, incredible, handsome man in the mm -hmm. world, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If what we're looking for is a connection and is like a dynamic person to have a deep lasting relationship with, then we should be evaluating ourselves and other people on a different set of standards, like not the same ones that we're holding against ourselves with all of this beauty stuff and yeah. thinking, you know, I, I won't qualify to meet a wonderful man and to be loved until I look a certain way. That is a lie. I it's think we a lie. need to shatter that first and foremost. Yep. But as we build our own confidence and as we find value in more than just how we look, mm -hmm. but instead what we do, who we are, what we've experienced, all of that can 
can help us know that what we're bringing to the table is valuable mm-hmm. and can help us to weed out the guys who aren't looking for a dynamic person and are maybe just looking for an object. Yeah. Because that'll hurt. Yeah. Because some people are, but there are a lot of good guys out there who are yeah. looking for something real. Um, so I want to quick ask you, we have five minutes left, but I want to ask you some lister questions. Um, okay. Let's see here. Um, okay. This person, I'll start out with a compliment. This person said no question, but she's such a fan of you and your sister. Oh, nice. Yes. Love that. Um, so this person said tips on dealing with PCOS hormonal weight gain. Ooh, yeah. A lot of people deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's tough because, I want to acknowledge first and foremost that that is hard and it's a health condition. Yeah. And like it's a it's a chronic illness, I think it's in that category. And so people who are going through that need to have a lot of self-compassion mm-hmm. um, and a lot of flexibility on how they determine what their body needs to look like or feel like in order to be okay. Like this mantra, my body is an instrument, not an ornament, it applies to everyone. But I especially want people who deal with chronic illness to recognize that just because your instrument doesn't work flawlessly or perfectly doesn't mean that it isn't more valuable than an ornament, an ornament that is just there to be looked at. Yeah. You are the subject of your own experience. You inhabit your body. You live within that body. If it's not working perfectly, if it's causing you pain, if it's changing in ways that you didn't anticipate and don't appreciate, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have, you know, some pain around that and some mourning about what your body was before or what you thought it would be at this point. Yep. And in a lot of ways, I think we all have to do that. We have to be willing to let go of our expectations for what we thought we'd look like right now right. when yeah. we get to that certain weight, whether or not we do. And So for people with PCOS, I hope you can find a really good doctor who is compassionate and recognizes how difficult it is to have a body and, you know, weight and size and hair growth and acne that is outside of your control and helps you find the right medications that can help and and a holistic plan that can help. But I mostly just want to say, like, I'm sorry, that blows. I have friends in the same situation and I think advancements are being made all the time. Yeah. In medicine and in our understandings of how bodies work, that I hope it won't be as big of a problem in the future as it is right now. Yeah. But know that your body is an instrument, not an ornament, and have a real sense of compassion for how difficult that is to be. Yeah. I mean, you're dealing with PCOS, right? I have PCOS and I fluctuate 10 pounds all the time. I always say if you're not fluctuating, you're not living. Yeah. I view myself with compassion and... I just, like, I think you have to just, like, treat yourself kindly. Like, I deal with the acne stuff. I deal with the weight gain. Everyone has different manifestations of PCOS. But you just have to know that, like, be on your own side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This person said, why is it that no matter how many people are aroused by my curves, I'm afraid my next partner won't be? Oh, that comes from living in a culture, probably growing up, especially at a time Mm -hmm. when curviness was a flaw, it was considered a flaw um, and something to be embarrassed about um, instead of just a fact of life and in some cases an asset. 
So um, that is all just anxiety. That's self-objectification manifesting itself in our fears for the future. We need to live in this moment, get back inside our bodies, prioritize what you're thinking, feeling, doing, like your five senses right now. Focus on getting back inside your body as your home. Mm -hmm. It's it's a matter of building – resilience against those negative thoughts and harmful thoughts that will probably keep coming up, but they won't sting as much in the future as we build up our body image resilience. Okay, beauty. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Do I warn guys I'm dating that my stomach has stretch marks from having children? No, absolutely not. I I don't think you need to warn a man about anything. If he has a negative reaction to your body, Mm -hmm. a body that he's already seen in clothes and a a body that belongs to a person that he's connecting with and building a multifaceted relationship with there's no reason that you should be apologetic for for your body because it that's nothing to apologize for yeah. but also because um that sets him up to think that this is something that is bad and wrong and as a flaw if you own it i have stretch marks yeah i would never acknowledge my stretch marks to a man and if a man said something negative to me about my stretch marks, I would never talk to him again. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they are I've, just a neutral thing. They are just thing. something on a lot of bodies. I have a varicose vein, and I was actually at my last mixer, not the most recent one, but the one before, and this guy came up to me, and he was like, he showed me a website for, like, vein removal. No. And I was just like, I think I'm going to keep it. Like, <laughs> like I didn't know what to say. I'm like, this beautiful – I don't know. Like, maybe for health purposes, I'd remove it or whatever. I mean, if it was but causing you pain or something. But it's but none of his business me? if I have a varicose vein or not. Like, I think that you just have to kind of be a badass and just, like – Right. Tell people off. Like, don't – like, no, it's okay. Like, go away. Like, why did you think you needed to comment on this to me, sir? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to have a conversation. I think he was missing yeah. some brain cells. Oh, okay. Because clearly, well, like, clearly who, like, who goes up to people and is like, here, this is how you should remove your varicose vein. Like, he, this man wants me to have surgery for what? So no. That his eyes don't have to fall upon a vein? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? It's, it's inside your body. It's a vein. Yeah. It's doing something it right. It transports blood. Right. Whatever. that blood, actually. But – Thankfully, again, I'm in a spot where I didn't take it to heart. Yeah. So I'm just telling these embarrassing moments that <laughs> I've had with – I'm sharing them with the class because I hope that, you know, if you have had something like similar happen to you that you can just like laugh at it and tell people to fuck off with peace and love. Totally. Yeah. Um. Before we leave, this has been amazing. So thank you so much. You're so important thank to you. women. So I appreciate all the work you, you're doing. Um. Can you give everyone a mantra for dating? So this is a dating podcast. I wanted to talk about body image because I think it's so closely linked to dating Mm -hmm. and that like a lot of people, they don't necessarily attach it, but I think that some people who have insecurities and who have been putting off dating, it comes back to the self-objectification that's holding them back. So what's your biggest piece of dating advice, your dating mantra? And it has, it doesn't have to do anything with your book, but just in general, like what's your advice for all the baddies out there who are in the dating field? Oh, man. I guess the mantra that I've used is who cares? Like, oh, okay. Who cares what they think of you? Yeah. Who, who cares what the random men on the dating apps or the men out on the street think of my body unless I care what they think of me? And then we can face it then. Okay. Really, a lot of it comes down to, like, why should I care? Why, why should I care about your perception of me? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't matter to you, let it go, let it bounce right off of you. Um, and like, just 
So I would say who cares and also like do it anyway. Yes. I love that. Just just go just out go there. Go for it. Oh Put my God, yourself out short. there. Be willing. Life is short. Yeah. Do it for the plot. Yes. Like, just – I agree. Yeah. I wish that I had more beautiful <laughs> like wisdom when it comes no, to the I th- dating I like stuff. the short and sweet mantra though. Like who cares? So like rejection is part of life. Yeah. So if you can just keep moving past it, who cares? And then do it anyways. Like I once went on a date with a pimple patch on my face and I just in my (laughs) mind, I was like, I probably look like Miranda Kerr. Like I knew I didn't, (laughs) but like I was just like, I'm a baddie. I love it. And I did it anyways. And I dated that guy for a while. Yes. And he thought I was stunning. He told me. If you bring the confidence, then they don't know that it's something you should be embarrassed of. Right. Don't Follow teach them mindset. that it's embarrassing. Yes. yes. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. Okay. So before we go, please promote yourself. Where can people find you? Well, uh, the best place to find me is through my book, which is um, More Than a Body. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. Um, there it is. Published at the end of 2020. Thank you so much for displaying it, for modeling it so beautifully. You're welcome. Um, that is, that kind of encapsulates so much of the work that we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lexi and I also have, um, Instagram, it's beauty underscore redefined. Okay. We haven't been posting on it for a few months. Um, it turns out after doing it for like 14 years, social media is exhausting. Yeah. But we still have a ton of content on there for people to oh, go yeah. through. It's really relevant. So I would recommend digging through that. And then we do a lot of podcasts. You can search us in your podcast apps and okay. hear us there. Any fun projects coming up? Well, we need to do that workbook. <laughs> we need to do a workbook to go to along with our book. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, you've motivated me a little bit more here today. Yay. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm going to keep following up and be like, how's the book coming? Please do. Yeah, I need your it. life coach now. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again, Lindsay. I appreciate yeah, all your you. time. Guys, go follow her. And yeah, that's a wrap. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again to our sponsor, First Rounds on Me. If you're tired of endless small talk with an overwhelming number of pen pals, Go download First Rounds on Me now and get yourself a real date.